Welcome to Compassionate Cultures, the podcast. You're about to go on a journey of empathy, understanding and transformation. Get ready to dive into the heart of humanity's most pressing questions with me, Rebecca Hemmings, the CEO of Strawberry Words Training Consultancy and guests. It's time to turn up the volume on kindness and to amplify the voices of minorities that often go unheard. This podcast asks questions like, how can we create workplaces where ethnic minorities thrive without the chains of career stagnation? What if universities were safe havens for all, free from the storm of microaggressions? And how can we bridge the gaps between cultures that have been divided by the walls of bias and ignorance? This is not just a podcast. This is a revolution of empathy. Welcome to Compassionate Cultures, the podcast. Get ready to explore, learn and change the world one compassionate conversation at a time. So welcome back to the Compassionate Cultures podcast. I'm Rebecca Hemmings, your host, and I am joined today by Dr. Rebecca Eldridge, who is a speaker, facilitator, and a licensed psychologist who supports clients and organizations in integrating mental health, cultural competence, and social justice. Welcome. Thank you. It's a pleasure to talk with you. Yeah, yeah. Likewise, I mean, I've done a lot of moving around your your LinkedIn page and, and your website, and and I'm really fascinated by your work, particularly, obviously, because what we do, the social justice justice aspects of mm-hmm. psychology, how fascinating. So I'm going to jump straight in there uh, because. <laughs> you know there's a lot going on in the world at the moment and we'll come we'll come to how you got to where you are later but you know um you know there are just before we uh started recording this I was just saying that it's a very difficult time in the world at the moment with the conflict that's happening in Gaza and Israel there are many people who are having to turn up to work uh, and, and are expected to function as as normal, um, but perhaps you know whether they're affected personally by having relatives in those areas, or whether just because of who they are, they feel uh, a certain way. You know, mm-hmm. what are some words of comfort as a psychologist? What are some words of comfort that you perhaps can offer them in this time? Mm. You know. One one thing is there's there's no words that capture uh-huh. the amount of suffering that's no. happening right now. And so any words that I say, I say knowing that they're wholly inadequate to yeah. really address what's happening. The thing that I think is really important, though, for people to know and remember is that their emotions are completely appropriate and Absolutely. valid. Yeah. I think so much additional suffering comes when when we either try to tell ourselves that we should just move on, get over it, push through, you know, um, don't let it affect us. Or when we hear that from others, you know, Mm. come on, just everything should be fine. And that adds a whole other layer of struggle and stress. So, you know, one of the things I would say is, of course, when there's so much suffering, if you're human and you're connected to your humanity and you have loved ones, or you yourself are identifying with some of the affected parties and the conflict, then 
then of course you're going to have very intense emotions and it's going to affect you. And so not to judge yourself or others for that and to look at how, how do you care for yourself with those emotions? What are the ways that you can make some time and space Mm. for that? So that, um, you can tend to it with compassion. Absolutely. And I I think that's really important to extend that, um, advice, with a view of, I'm thinking about managers here, managers, supervisors, people in positions of power who are who have these people within their workplaces, within whether it's places of education or whatever. I think it is important to recognize people's humanity and understand that they're suffering and to somehow allow that space for them to work through what's mm-hmm. going on you know I think right. that's so important also because I think sometimes people don't know what to do as as an as, you know as someone who wants to be an ally or not um people often are silent and that's a that's another question actually you know you know people um you know for many reasons are scared to engage in conversations about the conflict um obviously because nobody wants to say the wrong thing or to uh you know insult someone or to offend somebody um but do you think in your opinion do you feel as a people should engage in some sort of conversation or is silent I mean I can tell you what we we will say I guess I'm being quite leading here I suppose we will always focus on the person and how they're feeling and be guided by them mm-hmm. would you offer any other advice when it comes to engaging in any, any conversation around this mm-hmm. yeah well I'm I'm totally with you and mm. you know that I think in an individual situation, like your voice matters greatly, whether you're using it for what you're saying or what you're not saying is still communicating something. Oh, I like that. And so I think that, you know, sometimes people think it's going to be safer to stay silent, Mm. that maybe they can cause less harm if they just Mm -hmm. don't say anything. And that's a myth. You know, there are plenty of times and examples where staying silent has caused damage and harm in and of itself. So I think that it's really important for people to know that they have the tools and to build the practice and the confidence with the Mm. variety of ways in which you can say something that are congruent with you, your personality, your style, and also respectful of the other people that you're talking to. Yeah. And, you know, if it's, if it's helpful, like I actually have a resource that people can download that's five ways to speak up in those situations. Mm. One of the most underutilized, I think, is a question that just to ask a question in a moment of how do you feel about that? Or Mm. where does your perspective come from? What's important Mm. how you're seeing the situation? (sighs) So just going, just using that specific example, when might you ask that question? So how do you feel about that? You know, because some people are naturally curious and in order to satisfy their curiosity, they might out the blue, just start asking lots of questions about a particularly Mm. sensitive issue. And again, you know, we're talking specifically about, you know, what's happening in in, uh, the the war situation at the moment, but it could be to do with race or, you know, any other form of discrimination, right? right? Where people have just ran, randomly brought up a topic and they've asked well how do you feel about that 
is that okay or would something have had to have happened beforehand <laughs> right I'm glad that you're you're teasing that apart a bit yeah. because I'm thinking of it in situations where somebody's already said something yeah like if, if for example you Rebecca volunteer mm-hmm. that you're thinking about something a lot or if something's really impacting you then I might respond with a question yeah If I hear you say something that I think is a microaggression Mm -hmm. or something that I think there's some, some potential bias around, or that something that I think has harmed somebody else in the room, Mm. then I might ask like, you know, can you tell me a little bit more about what you're, what you're saying there? Yeah. You know, so trying to give an opportunity to create more of a conversation. And I, I think in our previous conversation, we had talked about just how important we both feel the role of safety is for having a meaningful conversation for having Mm -hmm. any opportunity to really connect. So I'm not talking about like diving in with a, like, why do you think that? Yeah. Well, I I have to ask. Yeah, I have to ask. But just because people do ask those questions, you know, and people are naturally curious, and people sometimes think that by asking questions, you're kind of being on side, you're being an ally, and you're showing that I'm, you know, I'm not racist or I don't discriminate or whatever. But actually, it's kind of saying something else. (laughs) Right. Yeah. And there's, there's certainly some delicacy to what questions you ask and how you ask and when you ask. Mm. You know, one of the things as a psychologist in our training, we're almost trained out of the question why. Yeah. it's very rare that I would use a why question. And Mm. I was so surprised recently because somebody was actually telling me and asking for me on my opinion about a different therapy setting where the therapist was asking a lot of why questions. And I, I was just honestly so surprised. Did you ask her why or him or (laughs) they, whatever? Right. (laughs) Why? You know, but why of course, puts it's a question where it's, it's asking somebody immediately to justify and defend a position. And so it brings up a lot of defensiveness. So I think, you know, in a moment where you can ask a question that starts with what or how and with, with genuine and authentic openness to hearing the answer. I think that is so incredibly important that I'm just going to kind of repeat what you said, that asking the question why, when we're talking to people who are facing discrimination or oppression or a part of that group, asking the question why often puts them on the defensive, but also actually it's to anybody. So even if, you know, in my work, when we're talking about discrimination, racism, so on, if I'm to challenge somebody and I start with a question why, immediately I know they mm-hmm. are going to maybe dig their heels and get defensive and it's just not going to work. So I think that is such an important point. And I thank you for raising that. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So we're, you know, we're talking about how to engage with people who are currently suffering, not just because of what's going on in Israel and Gaza, but also just generally, there's a lot of people who are facing, uh, it, it feels like an increased amount of oppression so I'm going to kind of dig a bit deeper on this one with you so you know that's just one of the ways in which you might engage with someone is just by asking questions what else can they do if there's a point of understanding like 
I might not agree with everything that somebody says. For mm. example, if if somebody says, um, here here's one that comes up in a corporate setting, right? Like, especially with in the United States, a lot of the tension around affirmative action, mm. and and so somebody. Just, says, sorry, just for people who yeah. don't know who are in the England, yeah, so, other places. Can you just explain what affirmative action is? <laughs> well, so it it was based on policies that were put in place to try to level the playing field mm. um, rather than perpetuate the advantages that mm. people from um, privileged groups had had previously. So largely to, to privilege or to, to give opportunities that hadn't always been in existence or promoted to people who hadn't traditionally had those opportunities. So especially being women or people of color. And in fact, one of the groups that has benefited most from that, which is not always talked about, but in my understanding, the data shows that white women actually yeah. have benefited the most from that yeah. over people of color. Yeah. It's um, similar here with various diversity programs. Okay. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So there's a lot of, um, a lot of controversy around it in in the United States right now. And there's a lot of um, often pushback of somebody who might say in this example, like, oh, I should have gotten that promotion. I didn't get that position. And it was only because mm. they were hiring, you know, a token person of color. Mm. Yeah, who doesn't deserve it, who didn't work for it. Right, yeah. right. Like mm. implying, right, that the other person wasn't just as qualified or more yeah. qualified for that position. Yeah. Um, now, knowing the the background that I know, chances are I'm, I'm not on board with everything that that person just said. Mm. But I might in that situation look at, is there a piece of what they're saying or behind what they're saying that I can have some empathy or some understanding towards? Mm. And in that moment, maybe the piece that I can connect with is that they're really disappointed and not getting the position that they want. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I might not agree one bit with everything that they're explaining about why, mm. but in that moment, maybe one point of response could be, you know, I know there have been times where I was really disappointed when I didn't get something that meant a lot to me too. Oh, that's so kind. I'm yeah, I'm working on that. That's I'm working on that in my head. I'm working on it too. <laughs> because I'm being totally honest, like my and I'm always my my intention, and I don't know intention's not everything, but I'm always wanting to be compassionate in conversations and see the other person's point of view, but I will also equally challenge. And so to Purely find the piece where you connect first is a great way in. I, I, I totally accept that, that, you know, that's it's a great way in. No, that's it. Full stop. It's a great way in. <laughs> and then I'll challenge. <laughs> right. And, and that's, the, yeah. that's the whole point, right, is I want a conversation to be effective. Yeah. So I, I want and and I'm not talking about this as a form of manipulation. Like mm. if I want to have a real conversation with somebody. Just a really quick interruption. 
dealing with microaggressions. The online training workshop is coming to you soon, okay? On uh, the 22nd of February, 1 to 3 p.m. GMT, right? So it's designed so wherever you are in the world, hopefully you can capture, you can get, you can be involved, right? What do we cover? Uh, I'm covering uh, defining microaggressions. Um, understand, so people understand the different types of microaggressions that are out there. I share plenty of examples, so you will know exactly what they are. You will also know what the impact of those are and how people, how ethnic minorities cope with microaggressions. Then, you know, the piece that people really want want to know about is how do you manage difficult conversations around microaggressions when they pop up because they can be quite fraught, quite scary. How do you deal with those either as the ethnic minority or the person on the, or, or the white person, right? And, and how do you come back? How, you know, when microaggressions do pop up, what can you say in defense? What can you say to highlight or to educate? What do you do when it's said? Um, do you just leave it, for instance? We'll cover all of that in two hours. So jump on to Eventbrite. There's a link around here somewhere. Um, and if not, go to the Strawberry Words website, strawberrywords.co.uk, strawberrywords, W-O-R-D-S.co.uk. Now back to the episode do most yes. of the time yeah yeah and then I want to be able to have them hear what I have to say yeah and and then in order for them to hear that mm. I can't start out already judging and attacking them yeah yeah of right course not. and yeah. and so how do we create that psychological safety mm. in our workplaces and our relationships and our families you know mm. how do we create that space where we can actually hear one another yeah. and bring our voices fully into the conversation. So when I'm talking about these different strategies, you know, these five different ways to speak up, mm. they're, they're all designed to facilitate an effective conversation so yes. that you have more opportunity to move the needle by yeah. the end of that conversation. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Because what you're essentially saying is, well, what I'm doing by engaging in this way is showing you that I think you're human too and we're going to connect on a human level and mm -hmm. you know whilst we may not agree on everything like I still respect you as a fellow fellow person and and that's what that it sounds like your techniques are communicating which often people don't do. So, mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And they're not, I mean, to be fair, like, I mean, I got taught some of these things, right? I wasn't yeah. born knowing these things either. And, and a lot of times people that I talk to, like they can develop these skills. In fact, yeah. this is what can be really powerful about trainings and facilitations is the opportunity to help whole groups of people to learn a different way to yeah. talk about things, to highlight some of their strengths and bring in their whole self yeah and, and have some of these really difficult conversations even in the workplace yeah that's so interesting because I was just thinking about well how did I learn these things you know and I think I think I've been around a lot of difficult people I, and I say that with the greatest respects but challenging people with challenging personalities throughout my 
working life and personal life and you have to learn to engage with people in a way that they will engage back with you and so you can't instantly go in there and (laughs) not that I'd want to but you know (laughs) you know it just wouldn't work so you have to find ways of dealing with a wide range of people in a way like you say that they will hear you so I think yeah that's really important and it's important to hear sorry that you know it can it can be learned you know sometimes people think well I'm just not not naturally that sort of person I just say how say how I see it you can learn yeah right right and most people do want to be heard at some level so like once you experience that like oh this this actually works this feels better we can get more done this way we can have better morale better better working relationships yeah you know then then there's a lot to be said for it yeah absolutely I was just thinking um I had a um I'm just going to say a family member who was very very argumentative and um I learned that if I just didn't argue back if I just lowered my voice and became inquisitive and just ask questions when necessary oh my gosh it changed the whole nature of the conversation (laughs) (laughs) right right and I think we all have those family members somewhere yes yes yes, yeah yeah so so you know it's it's knowing these little ways in which you can get that engagement so I will I want to come back now to the beginning because normally I would Mm. I would start by saying well how did you get into this but I really just felt as though you know if people just heard the first five ten minutes of this episode that they got something of they got ways into where we are currently but yeah let's go backwards and so you are a psychologist who specializes in the work of social justice how did that come to be <laughs> Do I sound uh, surprised? <laughs> no, I get that question a lot. And I, yeah. I'm laughing because, you know, it's one of those things where I feel like there should be really some like little sparkling moment gem that says, like, oh, there was this one moment in time and it, you know, everything just burst forth from that moment. And that's not my story. I mean, I think mm. my story is maybe the more common story where one experience built on the next. Mm. And, um, over time, you know, I'll, I'll say I had experiences of traveling to study abroad. I had experiences of being involved in different service projects. I have a very privileged background um, in terms of my own identity. I'm not sure if this has a video associated or not, but like, you know, if you see Some me- Some people I'm, won't see a video. Okay. Yeah. So I'm I'm white, very, very white, very light-skinned, light-featured. Uh, female, cisgender female in a heterosexual marriage. You know, I, I have an able-bodied experience where I've been healthy through most of my life. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, a lot of my background is very privileged and yet I, when I ran into values conflicts around what I was taught about how to see people and how to see the world and people's inherent worth, and then seeing that that was not how everybody was being treated within Uh. the world, like the dissonance that that creates, even at a selfish level, like just that friction inside of me, I, I'm not okay. Um, seeing that and not feeling like I'm doing something about it. And so, you know, in that way, like just my natural strengths and tendencies, being highly sensitive, being introverted, 
thinking about things deeply, caring about living out my values was a direct match to psychology. Yeah. I knew that yeah, from an that early makes it, age. That makes sense. Yeah. <laughs> and then those experiences that made me realize that there were times where I was not as aware that I didn't have the comprehension, the knowledge, the understanding of different groups, different backgrounds. And I wanted to be able to have relationships that were built on understanding. And so mm. I picked a graduate program that had a strength in multicultural issues mm. for my studies and sought out experiences that would continue to support that. And yeah. the more I had of that, the more I love it, the more, wow. you know, it just, it's rewarding for me. And so it just yeah. built on itself. So what does that mean for your work then? So who are you working with to, yeah, who are you helping? Well, I, I work with, um, <laughs> there's such a wide variety. So mm. it, it can be people from uh, a lot of service professions, a lot of people who are often tasked to be change makers, um, mm. whether they want to, or whether it's a designated role or not, but people mm -hmm. within organizations who, by virtue of their own identities, are often, you know, plucked and said, hey, will you lead yeah. this diversity effort, this mm -hmm. initiative, this committee? Or even if they're not even being identified by their organization, they're the one in the room, often the one or one of the only, mm -hmm. um, who is the person who has that different perspective and that different experience, who sees yeah. what's happening and is like, if I'm not going to speak up about this, who is and yeah. so they carry tremendous burdens of yeah. not only experiencing injustice in the systems the way that they are but then of also trying to change the systems yeah and so those again, are the people that I work with yeah just picking up on that it's such an important point because again that's something we hear so often that you know I'm quite perturbed because yeah I'm in this head of DEI position or whatever it might be um or I'm the advocate or I'm the leader of the employee resource group um but because I'm you know I'm black because I'm Asian because you you know, um, or I've got this particular job just again based on my skin color or my, you know, my, just my marginalized identity. And you know, people, and I'm saying this for the the managers, the hirers that might be listening. You know, that is an incredible burden, as you say, to place on people. But also, it's it's what that it's creates this sense of not knowing you know whether did I get this position simply just based on that or is there something about my skill like did there was there some elements of merit in this and that can control that can create uh, frustration and resentment added to the discrimination it's a lot right. well and I mean I'm thinking of a story about what you're saying where I was speaking at a conference um, a healthcare related conference and they had a, some breakout groups. And one of the breakout groups was a diversity focused breakout group. And as we were talking, somebody was saying, and, and she identified as a black woman and she was saying, you know, they came to me and they wanted me to head up this diversity group. Mm. And I told them no, because there's, I have none of that training or expertise. You're mm. picking me out entirely because you see yeah. my skin color. Yeah. And 
you know, I, I don't want to do that. I don't want yeah. to carry that burden. And like, I applaud her for saying no. And she was yeah. talking about how though, then they go on to the next person. And then for a lot of people that I talk to, a lot of other people that I talk to say yes, even mm. if they have those same hesitations that this yeah. woman had expressed, because they're like, if I don't say yes to this, yeah, then who's going to do it? Yeah. And they feel that pressure. Yeah. yeah. And so, so it's a tremendous source of depletion. Yeah, it, it, it certainly is. It, you know, I guess the phrase came to mind that, you know, you know, just because uh, you drive a Lamborghini doesn't mean you know how to, to repair one, you know, you know, mechanics, same kind of thing. You no, know? it does take a lot of skill. And, you know, I had to recognize coming into this role because we always spoke about cultural awareness, but we then decided to focus on race. I had to be very, clear on what that would mean on knowing that I you know I do see a therapist very regularly knowing that you have to take breaks because not mm -hmm. on top of having learning you know having to learn all this stuff and continue to learn you feel it as well you know mm -hmm. and so yeah that's that's it's 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 tricky it's tricky and particularly if you don't have any support around you and so obviously mm -hmm. that's what you're doing is you're offering support um yeah. Just on, I mean, I was reading one of your blogs before you came on, and it was about the allotistic load that. Oh, yeah, uh, the allostatic load. Allostatic, that's it. That's the allostatic load, which is the wear and tear. You would want to explain that? Yeah, well, it's, it's the wear and tear on the body of pervasive, kind of chronic, cumulative stresses over time. And mm. so it can come from a lot of different sources. But if you look at sources of chronic stress, then certainly experiences of oppression or marginalization are right up there. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, again, it's it's knowing that, you know, I always say to people, keep reading, keep learning about this beast that is um, discrimination and racism, because then you will find out things like this. So as someone who is placing that burden upon someone to take on such a role, understanding that that actually has, a, it can have a physical effect. It can lead to serious illness, not that, mm -hmm. and it's just that, but it can add to right, the pressure. Right. Right. Yeah. You're adding another thing. And so often people in these roles are tasked with doing them without additional compensation, without a reduction and other responsibilities of their role. So it's kind of just an add on mm. that requires something extra, but there's, there's not really any, re you know, there's not any rebalancing of what else is expected at the same yeah. time yeah. and not, not always being offered support, like mental, emotional support, coaching support, a team, a committee, you know, like, um, trainings. So mm -hmm. being tasked with here, like do this. And, and I don't, I say this somewhat, um, flippantly, although I, I don't mean it that way, but make our organization look good. Yeah. You know, yeah. we, we want in, in maybe for genuine desire to be doing the right thing. I do believe that most people have good intentions, mm. which is um, part of what's hard. Like they, they also don't want to be in trouble with mm. their public image. Um, but perhaps they behind also not wanting to be in trouble with their public image, they do 
want to be known as a good employer, a good organization, a nice place to work, a place that treats their employees well. Yeah. And that certainly serves them better when it comes to attraction of talent, retention, recruitment, you know, Mm. all the things. Mm. And yet, you know, you're, when you're asking people to do this, um, this additional work, then, then understanding there's so much wear and tear that goes along with that, especially if the person is still experiencing the microaggressions, yeah. the, the system as it is today. So taking that worker as, as an avatar, in, you know, as an example, you know, what one piece of advice, if there is one, could you offer knowing that, you know, that whilst leaving is an option, it's not really a realistic option. What can they do? What can they do when they feel as though they're constantly being seen and used for their identity, as well as being on the receiving end of those microaggressions? Mm -hmm. What can they do? Yeah. What, What piece of advice might you give them? Mm, well okay let me change that because I know you're not really an advice giving sort of in (laughs) in that sort of role but you're in a a, maybe you ask questions around that so what key question might you ask them to help them start thinking about how they might navigate this Mm -hmm. so I I would ask and I appreciate you recognizing that like I also feel like it would be very arrogant of me yeah my body to be telling other people here's what to do Mm. um so I would ask the question how are you tending to what you need how are you taking care of the what limits you set what what boundaries you hold Mm. um how are you tending to what you need in other areas of your life so that this isn't consuming all of you? Mm. Where are you, where are you getting to be your whole self? Mm. What are, who are the people that show up to support you and how Mm. can you strengthen and maintain those connections? Mm. Um, So really, I mean, different things work for different people and in different balance, but one of the things, one of the tools that I do offer that I think whether organizationally or individually has a tremendous impact is creating a nervous system map, an individualized nervous system map, because Mm. when people can see in their own body and their own nervous system and learn to really recognize some of the earlier signs Mm. of stress and burnout and depletion Mm -hmm. Mm. so that you can be responding to those and taking care of what you need, recognizing, and I'll give, this is an easy example in my life. When I'm dysregulated, I tend to get much more clumsy. I drop Mm. things, I trip, I run into (laughs) doors and furniture that are always in the same place. You know, and yet for me, if I do that, I know that that's a sign that's my nervous system is dysregulated, something's off. And that gives me a very quick clue. Now, I didn't always know that that was the case. So I just get more frustrated and more flustered and more like, Mm. okay, now what's going on here. Mm. But, But being able to recognize those individual 
indicators, then a person can make the choices that can help them to move back towards their more regulated nervous systems. Yeah. Yeah. And from there, you you're more effective. I mean, yeah. you communicate better, you think more clearly, you problem solve, you're more creative. And so when you're navigating these tough systems, those those are the yeah. skills that you need to have fully online. I really like that. A nervous system map. I like that. I've I've never heard of that. But yeah. Mm, yeah, it's it's based on polyvagal theory and and um, Deb Dana has done a lot of work in it, and it's something that I facilitate with a lot of the organizations or individuals that I work with, just because yeah. so many people get so much out of it. Yeah, that's that's beautiful. Um, right, time we've got to go soon, but I do want to kind of ask you quite a challenging question because it came up, and I know that people who are listening, they might be asking this question, right? So given that you're in this space, you know, you've spoken about your own identity, you've spoken about the types of people that you have and you do work with, you know, people might ask, well, as a black woman, for instance, why would I work with you? Does that question come up? Not usually from the people who contact me, just because they already know that they're contacting a white woman when they're contacting me. So they may have already made that decision. Um, Mm -hmm you know, I don't try to convince anybody to work with me. I look at it the same way. Um, you know, as a therapist, there's lots of therapists out there. There's lots of therapy approaches, different styles and personalities. I'm not going to try to pretend that I'm the best for everyone. And that Mm. includes, I'm not the best for every white person. I'm not the Mm. best for every woman. I'm not, Mm. you know, I'm not the best for every person in my age group. Um, so it's most important to me, the cultural competency piece is that I'm not assuming about whoever I'm working with, Mm. that I'm getting to know them for who they are Mm. and what parts of their experience maybe are similar to mine, maybe are different, Mm. but I, I'm not going to assume that just because somebody looks like me or somebody doesn't look like me, Mm -hmm. what their experience is or has been, I want to help them by getting to know and understand what their experience is and help to support them in making the choices that are going to serve their health and their well-being the best. Yeah. Yeah. And so um I do know that there's definitely a shortage of black psychologists mm. and so I I know some excellent black psychologists and I mm. also know that they can't serve everybody and Mm. so um you know if I can be a resource for people I want to be available and do that to the best of my ability but if somebody needs and wants to work with somebody who shares that part of their identity Mm. there are times where that's entirely necessary and appropriate Mm. and valid and I fully support that too yeah yeah thank you thank you for answering that yeah. Okay. I mean, it, it, thank you so much for your your wisdom, um, your insight, and I think people will be interested in your your resource in how to manage or to, to approach certain difficult conversations. And so, please do share with people how they can get hold of you. Sure. So the five ways to speak up resource you can find on my website. Um, you can go directly to it by going to rebeccaephd.com backslash the number five ways 
W-A-Y-S. And my Rebecca spelling is R-E-B-E-C-C-A. Um, so it's Rebecca EPHD.com backslash five ways. Um, my website in general has a lot of information about my services as well as a contact form. And I'm also on LinkedIn. You can find mm. me under Rebecca Eldridge PhD and love to hear from anybody about what connected, what resonated and, or any areas where you disagree or see things differently than what we talked about here today. It's great yeah. to hear from people. Fabulous. Thank you again. And all those in all that information will make I much I'll I'll make sure that we put on our website and also wherever people are listening to the podcast, they can also get those links. So um just brilliant. Thank you. I wish you all the best. May you um influence many more people as positively and as compassionately uh, as you do already. And yeah, thank you. Oh, thank you. It's so much fun to have this conversation with you, Rebecca. I appreciate your time. Thank you.